Welcome to The Tipping Point. We're recording this on October 3rd, coming at you from Kingston, New York. I'm Guthrie Lord, introducing Matt Edge, founder and executive director of the People's Empowerment Project and Democracy Coffee. Tonight, we are joined by educator, activist, and comedian John House Wilson to talk with us about two very close races that could have a powerful impact on our political climate. So, yeah, a lot's happened since we were last on the podcast. The hearings. I I watched it with rapt attention. This was like an OJ trial moment for me. I don't watch cable. I don't watch TV. And I watched this. And I watched this in my workplace as well. Actually, with a number of uh, interns that work with us, college students that work in my workplace. And that was really interesting, too. It was almost all female uh, interns and student employees, college-age women who were watching it. And it was really weird. It was like one of those big public moments where everybody's watching it. And I was... I uh, flabbergasted? Is that the word? I mean, I I listened to Ford's testimony early in the car. I was driving and I was listening and it was really, it was touching and upsetting and I almost cried a couple times. And then I went to work and we had the TV on and Kavanaugh came out and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, I don't, did you, have you seen the video? Have you seen the, his face looked all like contorted and just, he looked like a disturbed, deranged individual. Yeah. He was, he he was furious. People look weird in stills, but like (laughs) this was beyond normal, like yeah, selective photography. Like he had like a perma, like. He had that look on his face the whole time. I think yeah, the one, off frat boy. The, yeah, the one thing that stuck with me is somebody said something about him looking like the the bad guy in the Karate Kid, and I couldn't <laughs> stop seeing it the entire time. It was like swipe the leg, Larusso, and I kept on thinking that in my mind. But I also have a bias against Bretts. I grew up in Fairfield, Connecticut, and there was a lot of Bretts. What about? They were Bart, all blonde Bretts. Bart O'Kavanaugh. Bart O'Kavanaugh. Well, I don't think we have to go too far into it. I think a lot of people have already said a lot about it. But, oh, my God, that happened. And now we're living in a post-that world, which seems I've unfriended or had as many conflicts with people in a social network during this than I had almost during the Trump presidency in a very short period of time. Well, I think very short, you know, looking at this, we sort of need to bookmark it in history. What's at stake is none less than one of three relatively equal branches of government. It's up for grabs. Up for grabs. (laughs) And it could have enormous implications for decades to come. I mean, the whole Me Too element of this is is just mind-boggling, but there's so much more because that rightfully in some ways is taking the oxygen out of the room. There's so much more at stake that's not really being discussed in relation to corporate power relative to people power. Oh, yeah. In our country, like if the Supreme Court goes full on right winger like interpretation of free speech rights. We're talking about giving full speech rights to corporate money and almost no speech for for the little guy. Or union organizing stuff. Yeah. It's like it's the year 2040 and the last union members are being hunted down in yeah. the hills of West Virginia. Uh, and so yeah, and then that could just and what the ramifications of a society more controlled by corporations than it currently is in an era of global democracy on the decline. Like this is a big moment for our country, for the world. This is as significant as Trump getting elected 
or you know, I would I must say get both both houses of, of Congress getting elected. I mean, that's how significant this is. Okay, what does the Supreme Court rule on? And I was like, kind of joking about the union thing, but that just happened. That was just like, yeah. you got to pay your union dues or not. Yeah. But then, like thinking about it and going back to it's uh, it's Kello in the city of New London. It was the Connecticut. Uh, court case where it was eminent domain, right? They were going to say, hey, you have to move out of your home. You've got to get your home bulldozed so we can have a private economic development. And we can take your land. Eminent domain can work for a casino, a hotel. They can take your land. But basically, that's like saying uh, corporate plans for your life and your community will win. They will be able to bulldoze your, you know, your granny's house, you know? So there's so many different cases that that's like, that's all judiciary. Yeah. That's not executive any. There's no... And, and the crazy thing about the power of the judiciary, like the, the thing that makes it really stand out is it's the final arbiter. They get the last word. That power is immense. That they can take any... Like, and just imagine all the beautiful legislation, like a Green New Deal, whatever we want to do in the future with this country. Imagine that going for a 5-4 majority in the court and that getting struck down and being like, nope, you have to wait four more years. And there may not be four more years. Like, we don't know where the tipping point is. Yeah. It's hard because the court is designed to be not susceptible to public pressure. It's, sure. And that's... It's behind that big old thick robe. But I mean, what, what are some of the things we've got? We've got, there's the fund, the Susan Collins fund. Uh, she's, last I heard, has only raised $2 million something dollars in the bank. Uh, the fund's up to $1.8 million. If you haven't given to this fund... This is the fund that's for her opponent, right? Yeah, it's the fund yeah. for wow, her opponent. Yeah. And yep. if you've already given, keep liking and sharing it on Facebook because uh, you know the social media impact is powerful even if you've already donated. It's a lot yeah. of money. So t- tell your friends that there's a fund that if Susan Collins votes to confirm Brett Kavanaugh that this money will get released to her Democratic opponent in 2020. Up to 1.8 million, which is almost as much as she has. And almost as much as she has. If that got up to 5 million, then I feel like that would be a significant factor in her decision-making process. And that's, that's a main Senate race, right? Yeah, they don't. So that's not, there's not that many people. Right. You can keep calling these people directly. If you've already donated, you can just keep putting pressure on your representatives. Keep keep those phones ringing. Keep those emails going. Post on their social media walls because that's very powerful. Sure. And we were having that debate earlier, though, about like the out-of-state Yankees calling Alaska, calling Maine. Well, Well, they would call us down east. This is a countrywide (laughs) issue. This affects all of us. Sure. What the senator from Alaska does decides my future and my children's future and my friend's children's future for decades to come. So fuck yeah, I'm going to call that person Alaska and I think I should feel totally like Yeah, and this and this fundraiser is a great way where people from all over the country, all over the world could donate. We need to come together as a country, <laughs> whoever that may be, to stop this. This is like one of the big things for me is you look at like undeveloped or you know, third world countries, whatever the terminology you use is and it's like, okay, usually a lot of times the executive themselves is a little bit like, whoa, they're a little out there. Maybe they're not going to step down next time. Maybe they're going to like get their supporters out in the street to burn some shit to the ground. But, you know, the other thing they have is courts that are also stacked with their lackeys. So we already have the executive. We already have that like third world executive and, and who's big, like unstable. Yeah. And then he, if you pack those courts, those courts have been like the bulwark against him, right? I mean, there's been like so many judges saying that, no, you can't do that, Trump. You can't do that. 
And then that's something we haven't spoken about on this podcast yet. What that means on a really macro level for democracy is Trump's pardon abilities goes yeah. to the Supreme Court. Sure. And it and anyone who, some of those. anyone who, who fully believes that Trump picking out of all the people he could have picked, I mean they they do research, like serious research on these people. Of all the people they could have picked, they pick Brett, who happens to have one of the most expansive views of presidential pardoning powers. Sure. Why Brett? Yeah, why Brett? If you think there's no connection there, I mean, like, you know Trump. You know how he's thinking. He's trying to protect his hide, and he wants to try to have a Supreme Court that's going to let him pardon all his friends so his friends can get off so he doesn't go down. So do you think that came up when they were when they met at the White House and they had that all-day powwow where apparently Trump coached Brett to come out swinging? Like, you know, like... <laughs> Maybe is, that's why he was so bad. Yeah. Well, that's what they say. I mean, they say, you know, Trump said, you know, I, I gotta like you. I gotta like you. And I, I'm gonna, you know, you should try the Trump technique. And apparently it's working because it looks like all these polls are saying Republicans are actually fired up for Brett. They love it. They ate it up. After he testified, they were like, well... I mean, he did. It can't be the testimony as much as it's just Fox News's spin on the or whatever it is. Oh no! Well, he played to the base. I mean, he said it was a Clinton conspiracy. He said it was the most partisan thing ever. The paranoid base of the Republican Party loved it. Yeah. They ate it up. They really did, and that's mind-boggling again because yeah. I'm living in that much of a parallel dimension. Yeah, and you have young Republican women talking about how it doesn't matter, how, how he was only 17 and it was boys just being boys, and it's really ridiculous how they're aligning with party rather than basic. Or basic perjury, moral. we were talking about before. Per- yeah, it doesn't even have but, to be sexual I, allegations. I, I, it's, it's, my yeah. question is how is this, this going to play to Republican-leaning educated women? And I, I'm looking to, to those numbers. Are, is that where we're going to start seeing a shift in the polls because of this? And... I think early returns are suggesting that that's a thing, but let's keep an eye on that. But here's here's the news. This is NPR. In the, the poll amid Kavanaugh confirmation battle, Democrats' enthusiasm, the edge they had, Matt Edge, evaporates, right? This is for today, and this enthusiasm. is polling. This is the enthusiasm gap, right? So Republicans being almost as enthusiastic about this election, which we have not seen for the last year and a half. It's been Democrats who are, you know, we're, we got to go out there and we got to defeat the beast. And now it's Republicans saying, hey, the Democrats are coming after us. They're going to steal our nominee, you know, like they stole ours. Sorry, um, not ours, but, you know, the Democrat nominee. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Firing up the base makes you think about the midterms. Good Lord. Polls are showing that the Democrats have a really good chance of taking the House. Um, I think like, you know, nearly 80 percent chance. But the uh, Senate, what is it? The Senate's the not going to happen? The Senate's like 30% chance. Well, because that's, that's the whole, like, Hail Mary, right? Is to keep Kavanaugh off the court, and then the Democrats turn, you know, and take then, the Senate. And then, and then the Beto O'Rourke Congress stops the nominee because of Merrick Garland Yeah, until the Democratic president. And but there's only a two in nine chance that the Democrats can take the Senate, right? So that's the, that's the double that. long it's, shot. It's almost, it's between two and three. Let's <laughs> 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 like, not say we sell ourselves short. But, but what we're talking about is like, you know, our lives being destroyed, our children's lives being destroyed, 
Like, even if the chances are one in a thousand, we've got to throw everything we can because we're talking about one of the greatest catastrophes that we've seen in American history. So, in human history. So we have to just do whatever we can to pull up the stops. And so the hope is that Kavanaugh gets stopped. So there is an end game here. This isn't just like, you know, we're not just flailing at the wind. There is an end game. And the end game goes something like this. Stop Kavanaugh. They won't have enough time to get a new person before the new Congress is seated after 2018. And the new Congress, there's almost a one in three chance that the uh, Democrats will take the U.S. Senate. And so the hope that way, and so this is coming down to the three, the three people, the three senators, right? It's Flake and Collins and Murkowski. Is that worth mentioning at this point that they may actually have a spine and they might actually do the right thing or they might actually have some moral people should call their office. There's like a, it doesn't matter if you're from New York, you're from Virginia, you're from Texas, call these people. Let's break some records here. Let's have the most calls into a congressional office ever and maybe make them realize like, that what they're doing is going to have seismic effects to our our livelihoods for decades to come. And if they see that that's out there, then they may just turn. And so, you know, I'm usually not the guy in the room saying, call your senator. I'm more of a let's win the elections kind of guy. But here, this may be our, one of our last stops, and we need to do everything we can to put pressure on those people. If you know people in those districts... Call out to them. Have them call their congressman. Or if you know they're going to be in an elevator and you can corner <laughs> yes, them. Yeah, that's what I'm there should be an app that tracks them. This shows, shows when they Where stop moving, they but they change. Yeah, and then so you know, and so you get corner. Yeah, gets any more bad publicity, he's going to have a really hard time answering to his female constituents. I don't know what... Flake right now emotionally seems like he's a fucking mess. It seems like he still has a shred of like non-partisan human dignity. At least I saw it in his face as he was like slowly breaking in that elevator confrontation. And I was like, oh, right, there's man. video. I've only heard the audio of that. Oh, he, you could see, I mean, he's looking down. He's looking like he's been berated, like he knows that he's doing something she's just deeply like, wrong. Look at me. She says, it yes, twice. look at me. I was, I was watching that and that was, that was upsetting. And his response was that he was upset by it. It was, it was amazing because it was one of the only times I've ever seen like a white, wealthy, powerful guy in a suit cowering as a small woman is berating them for basically wow. for, you know, the patriarchy. We need to fight like hell just like for that. Like the fact that like people are putting everything on the line for this. Like we all need to like whatever we were thinking of doing, we need to do a little bit more. If people want to donate to the fund to stop Kavanaugh. That's going to go to Susan Collins' opponent if she votes yes. They can get a bag of democracy coffee. Ooh, incentive! So or they just, can go to crowdpack.com and or just Google Susan Collins crowdpack. Yeah. I mean, it's not about the coffee. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> give me some coffee to help raise the money for this cause. People like coffee. We'll, we'll, we'll give the profit from the coffee to the fund. So go to our website between now and the Senate vote and you can get some Joe out of the deal. But wait, am I wrong that the only way that Kavanaugh being stopped matters is that it then we have to win the Senate? Like the midterms have to work, right? Which brings us to our next segment, midterms. And we happen to be recording right now in ground zero for the midterms. We've got two immensely impactful, important races overlapping. Balladopedia does a ranking of which state Senate chambers are most likely to flip, and they rank the New York State Senate as number one on their on their list. And so what that will mean is that the Democrats would be in control 
of both the legislature and the governorship in New York. So we could start to see campaign finance reform. I should just say, you know, I sound here like an absolute partisan and like, you know, rooting for the Democrats. The People's Empowerment Project is a nonpartisan organization. It just so happens that in New York State, the state legislature, just controlled by Republicans, has been the blocking point for campaign finance reform in New York State. They, they won't even let campaign finance reform, serious campaign finance reform, come to a vote because they control the chamber. And so if we can flip that chamber, we can back Cuomo into a corner because he campaigned hard on campaign finance reform. Even though he, he's Andrew Cuomo, can't really be trusted, it will force his hand. So far, he's been able to triangulate with the IDC and say, it's the Republicans, it's the IDC, that's why we can't pass campaign finance reform. But now the IDC is gone. He doesn't have an excuse. The Assembly passes campaign finance reform every cycle. And so that will line up the votes for getting campaign finance reform in New York, which would be a huge victory. So the Senate is hanging on one vote. Essentially, the Republicans have a a slim majority in the Senate. There's enough vulnerable Republican incumbents up for re-election this year, because these are all elected every two years that it's safe to say that the Democrats are heavily favored to win back our Senate. And so in Kingston, we've got Pat Strong, who is running for Senate, and she's running against George Amador, who's in a district that are in years favorable to Democrats. It's basically a swing seat. In 2012, under the Obama coattails, he lost by 18 votes. This would be the kind of year that he's vulnerable. And that's actually who you want. We don't want to just win the swing districts in a a Democratic wave year. We want to win some of these slightly harder to get races, these, you know, reddish purple districts. And that's what this is. And so that overlaps with Faso and the Delgado race. And maybe, John, you want to talk a little bit about the... Oh, man. Oh, man. I... I feel like I have been assaulted by the advertising. I mean, it's been, uh, you were talking about the, uh, the WDST thing, right? I mean, they pulled yeah. those ads. I, I mean, this is just as like a consumer of media out there, like listening to radio stations, but they've been really, they've been really nasty. I've, so I, I've had one, there was one FASO ad that was positive, right? That's all I saw so the, far. The drug war one. Yeah, and it's such a bullshit. I mean, he's it's this pharmaceutical thing that he's trying to take take a stance on. That's such a non He's it's so it's so transparent and it's so uh, spineless. Really. Yeah, it's uh, well. He says that he's been getting money for the opioid crisis, but this is the, my favorite. This is the Times Union article. This is the one thing that this is one of the things he put his name on. So John Faso mostly spent all his time attacking Antonio Delgado for being. I'm sorry. He's not attacking him. The Republican National Committee is attacking him, right? National money is attacking Antonio Delgado. So John Faso is not saying much. It's mostly big money from out of the district that's coming and attacking Antonio Delgado. He's a big city rapper with no values who wears baggy pants. It's like it sounds fall flat on this district or no. I mean, (sighs) I think it's that thing. The voting district for the Congress is actually like the Rust Belt, man. Like once you get up into the Catskills and past, it's like that's some of the most hardcore poverty you know, in the country. I mean, Ellenville. Ellenville's the beginning of it where it's like you go to Ellenville and you're like, oh, there used to be factories, used to be jobs, everything's falling apart. And you're like, welcome to the Rust Belt. And from there, as you drive like Northwest, it's just like decimated New York State. 
And that's half of our congressional district. So, yeah, maybe ads calling him a New York City rat. I mean, they're pretty disingenuous. Yeah, the, t- the attack ads. The attack ads are laughable. And there is an opioid epidemic. But what's even more hilarious is what he claims to have done. On oh, yes. Yeah. So this of, is yeah. This is yeah, like I'm so sorry, yeah. Faso has it. Yeah, Faso has a bill, right? He actually has so there, there's the Repub- the Congress is trying to put together uh, an opioid bill and it actually has bipartisan support. It's one of the few things we don't actually talk about. We're talking about like how fractionalized and balkanized we are about like you know Me Too and Brett Kavanaugh and stuff. But there actually is a bunch of people uniting on an opioid bill. The problem is it seems like it's going to be a bunch of watered down bullshit because drug companies will still have an incentive to make tons of fucking money getting people hooked. But so there's this thing Faso's bill that he's writing his name on is called the Medicare Opioid Safety Education Act of 2018. And this is what it does. This is the big thing, right? It requires the Department of Health and Human Services to include warnings about opioids and alternative options for pain relief in the Medicare and you online introduction to Medicare. So this is seniors. On the this is on the website. This is people over sixty, over sixty-five potentially. So a whatever public age. service ad on a website for seniors. Just a warning on the beginning of a large-scale tutorial yeah. about the most complex system. I mean, so you're like sixty-five and you go online and you look it up and it just says, "By the way, hmm. opioids are super addictive and very dangerous, and even yes, old people get it hooked on them." That's it. You click through it. You say, "Yes, I've read this," and you fucking move on. And at the same time, Republicans are giving fucking tax cuts to pharmaceutical companies. They're already making shit tons of money off drugs. Not to mention the failed war on drugs. Oh, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> which is, is, is a travesty in and of itself. I mean, I don't think the Republicans have any credibility to talk about the opioid epidemic because it has been Republican and conservative Democrats who have been leading the charge of the war on drugs. The war on drugs is not a war on drugs. and the inanimate object. It's oh, the war on the people who use drugs. Yeah, cops aren't out on the street shooting heroin needles. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're shooting, shooting at fucking, heroin. Yeah. They're shooting people. And by tearing families apart, throwing people in jail, you're destroying communities, destroying people's lives. And why the hell do you think people got in drugs in the first place? Because their lives sucked. <laughs> well, and this is the thing. The Republicans who look at FASO say, okay, well, yeah, I mean, he's in general a law and order candidate. We don't want that rapper. We don't want that young black rapper. He's not a law and order candidate. But you look at you look at FASO and you say, okay, he's a law and order candidate, and so that's good for the opioid crisis, that's exas- too. That's exacerbating the yes. o- opioid yeah. epidemic. Well, and and this so is, it's, the, it's their own policies that yeah. they've been spearheading for decades. And so some stupid web ad infomercial that an old person who's potentially hooked to opioids... Or potentially will get free ones from Medicare. Yeah, that's it, part it, of the that's thing. That's not going to make a spit of difference when 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 the overall policies are oppressing people and destroying their lives and making their lives harder, so they're more likely to want to turn towards drugs. Well, and this this connects. These people in, need to be embraced, taken care of. We need mental health expenditures. Like, yeah, that's how we need to deal with this. The, the, the Republican paradigm on drugs is bass backwards. Yeah. Well, that entire, that ties into one of the most local races in our purple district in our purple county is the is the Paul Van Blarkham, right? This guy, mm-hmm. our sheriff, he's on he's on national news on Fox News because he's telling people they should be the good guy with the gun to stop the bad guy with the gun. You know, he's been in the Oval Office with Trump. He's like he's a national level figure, and he's our sheriff. This weird thing that is like a nominated. 
you know, he's he he's up for election. We need people to come to Kingston. Well, his his department is being sued in a class action lawsuit by people who work there as people of color, right? And because they were looked over for promotions and they were treated differently, and I've been told directly by Ulster County Sheriff's deputies that the thing that's wrong with this town is Henry Street, which is saying that the concentrated neighborhood of black poverty is what's wrong with this town. But I don't think they're saying like, hey, we should help them. You know, we should help a community of color that's still dealing with poverty. They're saying that the people there are what's wrong. So anyways, that's like that local election where Van Blarkham, he made his whole career on drug busts, right? That's his whole thing. He started this countywide group of detectives who are going to bust the people. Drug well, you look at the drug busts and it's like a, a dude gets busted for two pounds of weed in Woodstock. And how much money was used on that? You know, and is that stopping the opioid crisis? They do break, they bust people for opioids too, but it's the demand that's driving people. But it's not even Woodstock because they've shown that while there's similar rate of drug use between white people and people of color, but where the resources for policing go to is to people of color. And that's that's a whole nother series of podcasts. Yeah. So let's, let's <laughs> see. Moving on. What but suffice of, it to say, is so yeah. we've got a really important sheriff's race. We've got arguably the most competitive congressional race in the entire country in Kingston here. And we've got a chance to win a race that if we win, we'll flip the chamber of the Senate. So I can't stress how much we need help. We need all of you people that are sadly in the 90, what, 5% of elections that are not competitive, 90% of the elections that are not competitive. If you're looking for something to do, we need all the help we can get here in Kingston. Also, if you like this podcast, you like what you hear, it's brought to you by Democracy Coffee, fair trade organic coffee from worker-owned cooperatives. You can check it out on our website. Dig it. 538's calling it a one in two chance for Delgado, a one in two chance for Vaso. Yeah, so find a phone <laughs> bank, volunteer if you can, get involved, go to ballotopedia.com. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast and like and share on any platform of social media and you can. Go to democracycoffee.org. Sign up to volunteer. You know, uh, go to the websites of Antonio Delgado and Pat Strong. Uh, I'm sure there's information there for getting involved. Uh, it's really going to be grassroots activism against the big money machine right here. So we we need to be that activism. We need to be fired up if we're going to take this back when we can. And this one silver lining with the whole Kavanaugh thing is that people are really upset. I mean, this is, I feel like as a people, we're all a little traumatized from these hearings. I mean, this has just been really, really upsetting. And let's let the good that comes out of this be resoundingly stopping the Republicans from winning the U S Senate and winning state races and state chambers. So the states can start to fight back and we can start doing progressive, meaningful legislation there, get campaign finance reform on the state level. So there is hope, you're saying? <laughs> I, I'm not one to be motivated by hope. I, I just, the whole hope argument, I think, is a little overrated. Um, <laughs> that should have been the campaign slogan for Obama. Hope, overrated. <laughs> it, I think hope is overrated. I think it's just like, look around the people you love, the people you care about. Yeah, get involved. Do what and, you can. Yeah, and say, you know, for one in a thousand chance, is it worth it to fight for these people, fight for the people, my family, my my neighbors? Yeah, fight like hell because because what better could you do with your time? Yeah, and one easy way, as always, you can purchase some delicious fair trade organic coffee at democracycoffee.com and support the People's Empowerment Project at the same time. Matt, is there anything else you want to say about next week's episode? I can't. We have to wait and see what next week okay. affords. I don't know. But 
that episode will be in the and at some point we're going to talk about individual action versus collective action with climate and where the tipping point is there but uh we'll keep you all in suspense <laughs> and we won't get your hope up huh your hopes up hey. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks for listening to The Tipping Point. Thank you, John House Wilson, for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Matt Edge, as always. Thank you. Pleasure. Like and subscribe. DemocracyCopy.com. Woo woo.